Hey folks, Sam Whitfield here. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for downloading the audio podcast and listening to the show wherever you may be. I really appreciate it. And I would like to let you know that you can also now support the show directly via Anchor. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield Report, you can now support the show using Apple Pay or Android Pay on your mobile device, depending on which type of phone you have. And you can contribute $1, $5, or $10 as the three levels of contribution. I would really appreciate anything that you can give. Every little bit helps the show. And you can find the link to support the show directly in your show notes, depending on which app you're using. I would really appreciate the support if you can. If not, please uh, continue to support the show by giving us a rating on iTunes and sharing with your friends. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed the show. God bless. Internet connection problems resolve themselves once again. So, uh, hooray. Welcome to the Whitfield Report, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC Studios here in South Florida. Uh, it's going to be a shortened edition of the Whitfield Report tonight, slightly. Um, I really don't have any specific topics to cover tonight, so uh, we're going to do a bit of everything. Uh, First thing is first, though, if you would like to uh, contact the show, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SamWBO underscore NGC. Follow me on Gap at Sam Whitfield. Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report is the Facebook page. And, of course, the samfield.com is my website address. And, by the way, for those of you subscribing uh, to Anchor and listening to the uh, podcast via iTunes or wherever else you get your audio podcast, you can now support the uh, Whitfield Report podcast via Anchor. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield Report and click on the support this podcast button. Uh, from there, you can select an amount of a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars per month to support the podcast with. And if you're uh, doing this from an iPhone 
or Android device, you can use either Apple Pay or Android Pay to uh, support the show. And uh, we actually have a supporter already uh, using the uh, Anchor payment uh, support. My buddy uh, Quinn from Florida generously uh, started supporting the podcast at the $10 level. So I want to give a shout out to uh, Quinn. Uh, thank you for, for supporting the show, buddy. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, very generous contribution of $10 a month. And that really helps me out. It, it really does. And uh, with further donations, I'm going to uh, start improving the quality of the show, maybe getting some better uh, equipment in terms of microphones and whatnot. It's already pretty good, uh, but I definitely want to keep uh, improving the quality of the show and maybe, uh, you know, even take this show on the road eventually. Uh, you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Whitfield. I have a couple of patrons there. Uh, so between Anchor and uh, Patreon, I now have uh, about $20 uh, a month of support now, give or take. Uh, which, you know, that's not bad considering I just started, uh, you know, asking for support for the show. So, anyway, uh, thanks to all those who are supporting uh, via Patreon and Anchor. And, uh, you know, if you like the show, keep uh, keep sharing this with your friends and tell your friends about the show and let's keep going in the podcast. Alright, folks, so uh, with that out of the way, let's get down to business. Uh... So, folks, last week's show featuring uh, Dan Sandini, in which I talked with him about the censorship of Alex Jones and InfoWars, has been tremendously successful so far. In fact... I uh, I recently wrote an article on both American Watchmen and these and thesehamletfield.com, which is my website, uh, in which I discussed the uh, conundrum with the censorship of Alex Jones on these big uh, social media platforms, and I published the article on Saturday, and I've already gotten. Uh, a pretty good response in terms of uh, retweets and whatnot, just based on this article I posted. Now, uh, you know, in addition, in addition, like I said, the uh, in addition to this article which I posted uh, yesterday on. American Watchmen and today on my own website. Um, 
the the subject of censorship is really uh you know it's it's a big topic in the news and uh you know i ironically i have to wonder when it's uh when it's going to be censored in and of itself when my article on censorship is going to be censored uh i heard just yesterday in fact uh last night i found out that one of the prager u videos uh, has been censored, and uh, once again on YouTube. And ironically, it's a PragerU video talking about censorship. So, there you go. Obviously, I'm not going to read my own article on air. I think I think that would be a little bit too egotistical. I mean, you know, I, I, have, I, have, a, I have a huge ego, I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, my friend John Neary may have a slightly bigger one, but, uh... You know, I have one too, but anyway, my article uh, is gaining lots of, uh, you know, retweets and traction online. And one point that I want to uh, bring up that I got a lot, that I get a lot in comments and responses on Facebook is, well, Facebook is a private company and, you know, it's, it's their decision to choose... Uh, you know, who they want to support on their platform and whatnot. And, uh, look, I get that totally. In fact, that's one of my points in writing this article, is I don't think that people really know what to do, because as Dan and I were talking last week on this show... What you don't want is for the government to take over everything, right? Because as we know, government bureaucracies suck. They don't run efficiently. Uh, you know, just look at the post office, the, the DMV, or Social Security, if you've, if you've ever had to deal with them. You know, probably, to, probably some of the slowest non-functioning bureaucracies ever. You know, same with the, uh, same with the F, the FCC and, and the Trade Commission, too. Um, you know, so do we, do we rule on Facebook being, uh, managed even, you know, at a third party level, you know, in the government? And can't that be abused as well? So I certainly get the argument, you know, for, the, for the government staying out of uh, Facebook's business and social media. At the same time, we live in an era where I don't think very many people really counted on how, how much we would uh, be influenced by these uh, social media websites 10, year, 10 years ago, okay? Think about this. Think back to 10 years ago, if you're old enough, and most of you will be listening to this. Um, but think back to 2007 to 2008, which was really, in my opinion, the birth year of social media um, as a common form of com communication, along with the birth of the smartphone, Okay. Think back to 
you know, when when you and your friends were first getting on to Facebook or or Twitter, it was uncharted territory back then. And in many ways, I think it still is. Because we don't fully know how to how to navigate the trains of social media. Look, I've had, on a personal level, I've had relationships in high school that uh, ended in uh, over, you know, stupid Facebook posts, as did many of my other friends. Uh, you know, sometimes Facebook posts cause family strife and whatnot. You know, so even in our own personal lives, we've had trouble uh, adapting this social media forum. Okay, then you take it to the political arena, and of course, obviously, it's just going to be a giant shitstorm there. Um, and... But by the same token, it's also been very helpful in promoting the show and helping this podcast grow. So I'm not I'm not poo-pooing social media as a whole, but I'm just saying I think that we are still in relatively uncharted territory. And clearly, I think that there's pr- a pretty obvious, uh, you know, abuse of power that these social media companies have been uh, wielding based on the censorship of websites like InfoWars and like Alex Jones, which, by the way, I don't, I don't even fully agree with everything Alex Jones says. I've said that before too. You know, I I think a lot of what Alex Jones says in terms of nine eleven uh, truth and you know, gay frogs, I, I think a lot of that stuff is nuts. And as uh, my friend Dan pointed out, a lot of what jo- Jones does is theatrical on purpose. Purpose. He's a theatrical guy, and it, but yet, you know, does that give, should Facebook censor him because of that? Uh, I don't think so, personally. Uh... By the same token, I don't think Bill Maher or anyone on the left should be censored. Uh, my line for censorship should be whether or not you threaten someone. And furthermore, it should be pretty freaking obvious that it's a clear uh, threat too. Like, you know, it it should be a pretty clear threat, you know, that if, that if you have intent to kill some, someone or, you know, harm someone, it needs to be pretty clear. But, you know, all these cases of threats and harassment that, you know, get reported on, you know, Facebook and Twitter every day... There, a lot of it is hurt feelings and, uh, you know, uh, offend, of people just getting offended and butt hurt. 
which I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not the same thing as a death threat or, you know, even threatening someone, you know, physically. And knowing Facebook's political bias, I'm not even that threat, I'm not even that threatening of a guy. You know, I consider myself a nice guy. I, I, I get along pretty well with everyone for the, for the most part. Um, but, um, I think that, you know, the, the idea that Facebook and Twitter and all these social media platforms on a personal level, that the people there consider my ideas to be dangerous, you know, just because I'm a conservative, that in and of itself is scary. Can we really trust, you know, these big mega corporations to be, to really be fair? I don't know. I don't know. And that was my whole point in writing this article is we're at a crossroads of, we don't want the government to regulate these private companies. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're, I mean, they, they have a lot of power, so where do we draw, where do we draw the line? And how do we draw a line? How do we draw the, the line? Yeah. Uh, okay, shout out to the chat. Brian's here, obviously. Brian is the number one fan. Uh, he is the number one savage in Sam's Savages. Uh, beside, well, second only to Canna, but hey, that's partially because Canna help, helps to pay for this thing. So, uh, and, uh, and Elena and, uh, Morgan. So, although, although, although Canna doesn't really show up anymore, uh, to these things either. He, so, you know, he, he helps. He helps to pay for the show, and he, he probably listens to the podcast a lot, I'm assuming. But, uh, you know, Canna, you you know when I'm on, so if you ever get the chance, you know, drop into the chat, or at, or at the very least, like, send me a, you know, send us, send the show an email or, or something. You know, let us know that you're still out there. Um, in any case... Uh, Brian, uh, you know, uh, Alex Jones, for the most part, sits there and reads Judge Headline. I'm, I'm reading the comments. Pause. I also think Sandhook and 9-11 were inside jobs. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's fine, too. Um, and by the way, I got some slack, you know, from some people saying, oh, you know, how do you not believe that 9-11 was an inside job? Um, you know, as I've explained before, I just don't believe that 9-11 was an inside job, uh, because, and I even explained this in the article I wrote, I just don't believe that the, I don't, here's the bottom line with, with 9-11 not being an inside job. I find it hard to believe that the government would be able to First of all, I, I find it hard to believe that the government would have the wherewithal 
to uh, orchestrate and successfully pull off a 9-11 attack um, without the bureaucracy getting in its own way. You know, as I mentioned, see the DMV or Social Security or any of those other situations. Second of all, assuming that they were able to pull it off, I I doubt they would have been able to, uh, you know, keep it covered up for very long. Uh, you know, people, I mean, let's face it, Watergate, you know, no one was able to cover that up real well. Uh, no one, Obama couldn't cover up the, uh, Obama and Hillary couldn't cover up the, uh, Benghazi scandal very well. Um, you know, but bottom line, if anyone wants to, you know, confront me on 9-11, you know, and try and change my mind, you are more than welcome to come on the show. You know, send me a DM or send me a message and I'll, I'll have you on the show and present your evidence and whatnot. You know, I'm, I'm very amenable to talking to people, too, on both sides. And, you know, for the, for those who are saying that, who are all for Alex Jones being kicked off Facebook and Twitter, you know, I want to hear from you guys, too. You know, I, I want to, I want to hear these topics. You know, I, I think I think a lot of people are reasonable with having, uh, you know, discussions, and yet it seems to be the people with logical discussions that are ironically getting shut down. It's it's almost never the cra- it's almost never the insane crazy guy shouting in a room by himself that gets, you know, censored or, or taken down. You know, a lot a lot of these school shooters in recent years have uh, posted, you know, manifests on YouTube and they never get taken down until after the fact. But, you know, I, I, I digress. Um, so I wrote, I wrote that piece last week in response, you know, to people responding to my podcast with Dan uh, from last week, which is, you know, again, that's, that's great. Uh, and then someone sent me a piece, or no, someone sent me a clip, uh, of Jordan B. Peterson talking about this topic with Steven Crowder. I'm not gonna play the whole clip because it's 12 minutes, but I, I do want to play a small portion of the clip of what Peter, Peterson says, because I, I think he has a point of these social media companies, they now have put themselves in a really tough spot. So, uh, this is Jordan B. Peterson commenting on the censorship of InfoWars and Alex Jones by big social media. Uh, clip number one, go. Okay, let's ask this. This just happened this week. Facebook, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, right? They all banned the InfoWars channel. So let me ask yep. you, do you think that's a good thing or that's a bad thing? No, I think it's a catastrophe. Okay. So what's your what's your solution? Do you believe Facebook or YouTube should be forced to provide a platform for speech that they detest? 
No, I don't think they should be forced. I think that they're I think that they've they've bit off far more than they'll be able to chew. How so? Because now they've decided well now they've decided that they're ethically responsible for the content on their platforms. So good luck with that decision because they have an awful lot of content and drawing the lines is going to be an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. So basically, the way that these companies were set up to begin with is that people could post content and then other people could watch it and basically decide by their viewing. Um, they could value the content by their proclivity to view. Mm. And now they've decided as a consequence of this decision that they're going to be in the business of arbitrarily determining what should and shouldn't be presented for public viewing. And they'll point I want to bring up here, Peterson is absolutely right. The way that these platforms were initially set up 10 years ago, you could, uh, you know, like a page on Facebook or like a, or subscribe and like a channel on YouTube and, you know, vote it up or down and based on the amount of users that were reacting to a, a certain post or video or whatever have you, that would be the way in which algorithmically a post or video would get promoted. It was organic. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, I paused on a really bad frame of uh, Peterson there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll resume the video, but... Bear with me while trying to look at his face. Um, the the aggregation of content on social media was was ten years ten years ago. Heck, not even ten years ago. More like you know six seven years ago. It was completely organic based on the user base, and uh, you know. You had a few instances of, you know, maybe Facebook or YouTube curating content and suggesting content to you, but it was never really anything, you know, major like, you know, that like them forcing anything political. It was mostly like, you know, YouTube would purposely, would, you know, purposely feature videos for their big, you know, YouTube video awards, right? Because that was a company-wide thing for them, and they were making money. So, so obviously, they would be promoting events that were, uh, you know, about them. And so the curation was natural, but now, after the uh, 2016 election, election, well, and even a little bit prior to that, I think that they knew that the conservative wave was coming, and so they started getting real antsy about all this stuff, and so they started to, you know, clamp down and actually moderate actual content, and as Peterson just said, they've made their own jobs a lot harder. Continue. Never run out of decisions to make. You know, lots of people who were watching Alex Jones didn't agree with him. They were just keeping an eye on him. So like I watched Alex Jones from time to time because I wanted to see what the radical conspiratorial right wing was up to. Right. Yeah. Now, same here, by the way. Possible. Now they're driven underground. Way to cover your tracks with your browser history. I appreciate there's, it. There's, um, let me ask you this. 
And by the way, for those of you listening on audio, uh, Steven Crowder here, he's clearly playing a, like, a satirical character, and, uh, he's basically playing, like, devil's advocate here, which I, I think is, you know, it's, it's a smart piece of satire he does whenever he plays devil's advocate. But for those of you, uh, listening, being like, why is Crowder's voice so, so, you know, weird? That's why he's he's doing he's doing satire, folks. Yep, go There's ahead. going to be all sorts of lines that they have to decide now. So they're going to take out Paul Joseph Watson next, Lawrence Southern. I mean, are they, where well, are they going to draw if, the line exactly? Okay, so if it's against their terms of service, isn't it within their domain to revoke the channel? What's what's the solution? Of course to that? it is. I didn't say they couldn't do it. I said it was a bad idea. Okay, so you're not. That's not the same thing. Okay, so the other thing I would point out, though. And I, I did point this out in my article. Their terms of service for a lot of these social media platforms are extremely vague as to what constitutes hate speech or har- harassment. It, it's it's extremely vague because I I I guarantee you that, and I mean I, I hate to use this term because I I think conservatives tend to overuse it these days but you know for for the purpose of my point let's just say I, I that the definition of uh hate speech by a liberal snowflake is much different than what I may define as hate speech And yet, when these, um, and yet because these snowflakes are running, you know, things in Silicon Valley, their view of what hate speech is, you know, although it may be skewed to like an extreme level, they're running things. But yet, because they're also the ones running the company rules, they also have the rights. So, you know, again, it's it's a clusterfuck no matter how you look at it. I, a, so, I think it's go ahead. well. I think I think that they've. I really do believe, and I'm sad about this. I do believe that they've bitten off more than they can chew, and that it's going to be. It's 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 one small. It's a it's a warning sign with regards to these media conglomerates that are attempting to produce large scale public discourse. Because now they've taken on, they've taken the role of censor onto themselves, and they'll find that that's a never-ending role that produces endless trouble. They, they've got themselves into endless trouble, as far as I'm concerned. And for, as a, from a perspective of a clinical psychologist, I would also say um, the worst thing you can do to someone who's paranoid, the most ill-advised thing you can do to someone who's paranoid, is persecute them. Yeah. So now that I mean, Alex Jones is always talking about the little I know about him. He's always talking about. Uh, conspiracies of one form or another. And now what has all the appearance of a conspiracy between four or five very large media conglomerates is aimed squarely at him. So all the people who are watching him who are conspiracy-minded and somewhat paranoid are going to think, well, Jones must be onto something because otherwise these big conglomerates wouldn't have clamped down on him. No. Exactly the point. Not only, not only that, but in effect by censoring him, they've proved... Jones's conspiracy right, all right? Alex Jones said last year, 
that big tech was going was going to censor them. And, uh, you know, me being the skeptic, not just of Jones, but of Bill Maher and of other people, even people on my side, like Tommy Laren, supposedly on my side, and like Owen Benjamin. I mean, I'll, I'll watch them, but I, I, I try to be, there are, there are only very few commentators that I'm almost never skeptical of, like, Rush Limbaugh, I'm almost never skeptical of just because he's been on top of this game for 30 years. I, so, you know, there's very, there's very little reason to be skeptical of him at this point. But, you know, I'm, I'm naturally skeptical. And yet the point is, um, you know, is that, you know, Jones got proven right, and yet Facebook was, like, trying to, you know, disprove him being right. The The best thing that Facebook could have done to Jones was simply nothing. That was the best thing they could have done when Jones said that Big Social was going to censor them. They, they they should have done absolutely nothing and just, you know, let his page just exist out there and grow into the, you know, grow and, you know, shrink according to its own uh, metrics. Because now you've got people even like me who, you know, don't always dis don't always agree with Jones, but now as someone who defends free speech and who supports it, well, now not only am I compelled, not only am I now agreeing with Jones on more things, but out of principle, as someone who supports free speech, I'm now compelled to defend Alex Jones and to support him as well. You know, and I, I know lots of the people who disagree with Jones on this is, are in the same boat with him now. So, I mean, so do you, do you Facebook executives, um, you know, see the conundrum you've put yourselves in, uh, with? Um, also, so that was essentially the point in me playing uh, this clip of JBP and just to kind of wrap up the, the censorship thing. And uh, I'll keep an eye on this censorship thing and see if it goes any further. Uh, I, it would be ironic if my YouTube somehow got censored as a result of this. Um... But, uh, yeah, let me read some of the comments real quick. Okay. Uh, in the past couple of years, Facebook has been implementing algorithms that have made it harder for you to see your friends' posts, including ordering feeds, not chronologically. Yeah, I, I've noticed that a lot, too. And even before the censorship thing was, was a big deal, like, even function-wise... Facebook is really starting to suck. 
because what's happening is they're cramming in the uh the uh I mean Facebook is cramming in so many features now it doesn't even work properly. Plus if you're on your phone it's uh it's uh you know it's really hard. Uh Brian Uh Everyone thinks Alex Jones, everyone thinks Jones is crazy, but I'm telling you, the guy is always right. Well, you know, Brian, I will say this. Like, like I said, I am starting to come around to him more, more and more. You know, as, as Facebook and the left goes after him more and more, I'm starting to come around to him more and more. Same thing with Donald Trump. You know, if you had asked me in 2015, Back when the election first started, if I was going to support Donald Trump, I I would have I would have pointed and laughed at you if 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 you had told me like you know two and a half three years ago that Donald Trump would be running for president and that I would be voting for him and endorsing him, um, I I would I would be laughing at at you, but you know the left went after him. For basically denying political correctness. And, uh, you know, he wasn't my first choice. But then once it pretty much came down to him between Cruz and, um, you know, Trump. And by the way, I also, I also like Cruz. But once it was pretty apparent that, uh, you know, Trump was going to win, I said, okay, F it. I was in New York City when I made the decision. And, uh, you know, I bought this, uh, I bought this MAGA hat directly uh, from from Trump Tower, and uh, I don't wear it that much anymore. Just because, not even because I don't want to wear it. Part of it is because I live here in Florida and it has uh, sweat stains on it already from my forehead on the inside, and I I do want to preserve it somewhat. So uh, you know, I might, who knows? I might buy another one. And then, like, put this one in a, in a glass case or something and, like, preserve it as, like, you know, as, like, the MAGA hat. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But that, that would be, that would be my question of the week. What, what, what should I, what should I do with my current MAGA hat? Should I, should I preserve it, quote unquote, or should I buy another one, or should I just keep wearing wearing it. I, I don't know. Um, Brian, as far as, uh, Tommy endorsing Kelly Ward, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, doesn't really matter to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I like Kelly Ward, so, I mean, I haven't heard anything bad about her, so I guess as long as she's conservative, what I would say is we certainly need more of them. So I don't really see the problem with with Tommy endorsing um, Kelly Ward. I certainly don't think that that endorsing Kelly Ward uh, necessarily makes Tommy even any more or less conservative. 
And, uh, you know, for the most part, I think she's still mainly just a, a, a hot blonde bombshell. Um, but, uh, let's see. Uh, one of my husband's friends has ones that, that is less like, bit conspicuous as it's like camo. Yeah, I, I've seen the camo ones. I, I, I was thinking of getting that one too. Um, but I, I didn't. Uh, hey, Mr. Rogers, what's up? Um, but yeah, Brian, as far as, uh, as far as the Kelly Ward thing happens, uh, I don't, I don't know. Get a creepy mannequin to put it on. Yeah, that, that's, that's just what I need, Brian. Especially since I already have like a fear of mannequins from watching like a really messed up psychological thrill when I was a kid. I can't even remember, remember the name of the movie, but it was French and it was really messed up. Ah, uh, okay, let's see here. Um, I did have another video that I wanted to play for, for you guys. Uh, this one is from, from Paul Joseph Watson. This one came out last night and I was laughing my, uh, butt off over this, uh, video. This, uh, this is Paul Joseph Watson talking about the, uh, the super sensitive nature of America. And, uh, you know, just Western society in general and how we've just become a bunch of big emotional babies. Uh, he calls it the age of emotional incontinence. And, uh, you know how I, how sometimes Paul Joseph Watson or not even Paul Watson, but even some, sometimes like comedians like bring up, you know, points that like, you hadn't really thought of before, but they seem, they seem like pretty obvious, you know, after they mention them. Well, this is one of those things. Uh, pretty hilarious, if I do say so myself, and pretty true as well. So here is Paul Dos Watson on the age of emotional incontinence. Uh, cut number, uh, three. Go. <laughs> Emotional incontinence. You have urinary incontinence. No, I said emotional incontinence. Sorry, I hate crying. As Western civilization collapses, which it is, so does our ability to deal with minor day-to-day -day struggles. Without breaking down and wallowing in a pitiful puddle of our own self-indulgent fragility, we're indoctrinated with emotional incontinence by television. America has been collectively turned into Kim Kardashian's cry face. I've just been, like, so unhappy. You don't think I feel bad? The masses overdose on reality TV, thinking that it's actually reality and then mimic it in their own lives. The more insipid sentimentality displayed on TV, the more it manifests itself in the here and now. Vacuous people live their lives vicariously through celebrities and television, then base their own personalities on that. Reality TV doesn't reflect reality. 
It contrives reality. It relentlessly broadcasts the message that ostentatious OTT, often dumb, displays of emotion are to be imitated. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I rarely watch reality TV. Like, I think the last actual reality show I watched, I'm not kidding, was Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. And that, like... That was on TV, like, what, 10 years ago? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, re real reality, reality TV has just made people soft. Now, granted, I, li I, I do like television, but, like, you know, I like, I like sitcoms and I, I like scripted tele television, but, you know, even, even that can be pretty, dull and over emotional and just flaky these days. So, you know, that's that's why I don't watch that many that much TV. And the TV I do watch, you know, tends to be very like selective. So uh you know, I just wanted to add that in real quick. Uh continuing on cut number uh you know, well, let's just continue the video. Sorry, I didn't get there. Are you speaking English? People breaking down and sobbing because Gordon Ramsay had his team renovate their restaurant. A stunning fresh coat of paint. Oh my God. We've updated the upholstery. Oh New plates. Unfucking believable. No, you're not supposed to cry over a paint job and some new furniture. The same is true of YouTube. Now, you know, in fairness, real quick, I don't think Paul Just Watson understands the, the concept of, like, kitchen nightmares. Uh, you know, for those of you who never watched the show, the premise of that, of that show is that uh, Gordon Ramsay would come in and help a lot of these, um, you know, st struggling restaurants and help them, like, repaint their restaurant and get them new supplies. So if it's your family business and you have, like, you know, someone helping you out, like Gordon Ramsay, I, c I can understand getting emotional over that. But, you know, even so, in, in general, I, I get the whole premise. As far as cops go, um... Brian, I, I am, uh, Brian, no offense, but I'm honestly surprised that, that you weren't, uh, that you weren't on a, uh, that you weren't on an episode of Cops, Cops ones. So, uh, but, uh, well, well, yeah, well, yeah, Gordon, Gordon Ramsay is a dickhead, but damn, does, does he know how to cook? Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, well, well, yeah, well, well, I know who, who doesn't watch cops when they're in the hospital or awake late, late at night, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, you, 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 you're, you're, you're too fast for, for the camera, for the camera, the cameraman. Uh, yeah.
So, well, but what if what if the cops are wearing the the body cam cams? So, um, you know that you know that that would that would be another funny funny. It's it's too it's too bad that, that the danger zone uh you know channel got canned because I had a I had a hilarious concept for a skit once where uh it would be John it would be John near on cops but as the cop just ar- arresting people for like various like ridiculous charges so yeah uh, I yeah I don't know we'll see you on it I don't I don't even have cable I just I just have Netflix and whatnot so you know, maybe maybe that's the other thing is, you know, I, I suppose that when you have the, that when you select your programming like that, it doesn't get as bad. But uh, anyway, geez, I I really need to shut up so we can finish this uh, Watson clip. Anyway, meh. YouTubers are rewarded for emotional incontinence and oversharing. The try not to cry challenge. Constantly crying oh and whining about the drama and their breakups. The viewers lap it up like water in the desert. Then ape their behavior. Oh, why is everyone crying? I'm such a baby. Last year, Twitter users yeah, you are. what made them cry. The answers included people who cried at not being able to fit all the things they wanted to in their bag, getting the wrong sauce with chicken McNuggets, and crying at a picture of a man because he looked like he was nice. <laughs> the fl- I I love how like a lot of the, of, a lot of those Twitter those people. Uh, you know, in the shot of the uh video, video of the Twitter screen grabs, I love how like half of them were verified, were verified users too with like actual check marks. Meanwhile, I've I've been tweeting like actual news articles and podcasts and like legit content for like you know since 2011, and I still can't fucking get verified on there. Anywho. Gates of emotional incontinence are also flung open whenever a celebrity dies. Why do people whimper and sob over dead celebrities they never knew, and in many cases rarely even thought about until they died? Does this betray another yep. form of weakness, our inability to process the concept of death? Now, I will say this. If you're like a die-hard fan of like a musician or something, and like... A band's music or an artist's music, like, was a fundamental part of your life. I understand that. But, like, people are crying over celebrities that, like, they barely, like, listened to and whatnot. Like, in in all honesty, I wasn't all that broken up about Michael Jackson's death when he passed away, and it wasn't because, like, I didn't respect the guy's music, like, I thought it was sad, but I wasn't broken up because I was never a diehard Michael Jackson fan. On the other hand, when Chris Cornell died, that was more devastating. But yeah, this uh, trend of celebrity death and whatnot, it is weird. Death itself. Or mass public outpourings of grief and canonization of dead celebrities, a sign that humanity has never been more afraid.
of its own mortality. A sign that excessive emoting is making us both more insecure and more insincere. As Theodore Dalrymple wrote, we live in an age of emotional incontinence, when they who emote the most are believed to feel the most. As we become increasingly atomized by the breakdown of the family structure and its replacement by this empty late-stage capitalist corporate monoculture, authentic expressions of private love have been replaced by spurious public displays of counterfeit emotion. Why are we constantly told that there's a stigma around depression? That there's a stigma around expressing emotion? There isn't. The opposite is true. It's constantly drilled into us that depression is normal and that emotional incontinence and oversharing is to be encouraged. You can barely go two minutes without seeing someone drone on about how depressed they are on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. This has two consequences. It trivializes actual depression and it incentivizes weak-mindedness. And I'm not saying you should never cry or express emotion, especially people who have experienced real trauma and have PTSD like injured war veterans or female rape victims. But please, save it for something that actually deserves that response. Otherwise, you cheapen the entire range of human emotion. You limit the human capacity, when it's necessary, to deal with actual grief and suffering. Our ancestors lived through the Great Depression, famine, war, poverty. They didn't get morose over someone not replying to their WhatsApp message within 10 minutes. <laughs> and that meant they were able to handle real trauma better because they had a sense of perspective. Dalrymple again, where once emotional restraint and self-control were admired, now it's emotional incontinence that the British aim for. It's as if they had undergone potty training in reverse. The English have been persuaded that emotions are like pus in an abscess. If they are not released by screaming and shouting, hugging and crying, wailing and raging, and the more publicly the better, they will turn inwards and cause emotional septicemia. The person who controls himself is not only a figure of fun, but a traitor to his own best interests. We've got it better than anyone in human history. Our emotional indulgences are catered for like never before. And yet depression continues to rise, especially amongst young people. The more we talk about depression, the more depressed people become. This constant expectation and encouragement of emotional incontinence is worsening our mental health. Emotional incontinence has also been driven by an explosion in... No Jeez, what a concept. You, you, you talk about depression and people get more depressed. Huh. What a concept. People regard it as a good thing to express themselves, irrespective of whether they've anything to express. Narcissism is facilitated by social media. Nice job, team. The more information we reveal about ourselves, the more dopamine hits we can expect to receive from likes, shares, and comments. Yet we can never seem to compete with that one friend whose Instagram feed just seems like they're having that bit more fun, which in turn makes us more depressed. Society's endorsement of emotional incontinence is training us to behave like we have a mental disorder. Seriously, it's a mental disorder. Pseudo-bulbar effect. A type of emotional disturbance characterized by uncontrollable episodes of crying and or laughing or other emotional displays. It's a neurological disorder. 
The lighter form is called mood lability, an emotional response that is irregular or out of proportion to the situation at hand. It's a facet of borderline personality disorder. Why is our culture normalizing? borderline personality disorder why are we being convinced to embrace mental illness because it's easier to control and coerce a population that's permanently trapped in a heightened state of emotional frailty than one that has a strong cerebral constitution because the people who can't control their own disposition then become control freaks themselves if people can't control their own emotions then they have to start trying to control other people's behavior. Because in an age of... The great John Cleese, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, you want to talk about a, a TV show that was funny and smart, uh, Monty Python and the uh, Flying Circus. Speaking of uh, people who, who don't get over-emotional at all, uh, our man Gabe, who, uh, you know... Just doesn't who just doesn't give give a fuck. He uh, you know he he rolls the way he does. He just uh, came in the chat. So welcome, Gabe. So mm. vapid consumerism and an eroding sense of identity. Appropriating afflictions provides a facsimile of meaning. Why call yourself maladjusted when you can be an autist? Why call yourself a fussy eater when you can be gluten intolerant? Why call yourself a pathetic, weak-minded crybaby when you can just be comfortable with externalizing your emotions? Men being browbeaten out of their toxic masculinity is also creating a generation of soylent drinking, emotionally incontinent, blubbering manlets. And again... I'm not talking about people who have experienced real suffering. I'm talking about people who cry about not being able to get their eyebrows to look the same. Now, I know what you're thinking. Paul, you're just a heartless, miserable bastard. Yeah, and... <laughs> I simply am not there. Actually, no. I'm a stoic. I'm not making all this stuff up off the top of my head. I'm not regurgitating some stereotypical stiff upper lip basic bitchery. This is called Stoicism, a branch of philosophy that stretches back to the 3rd century BC. Stoicism is the antidote to emotional incontinence. Stoicism is a realistic alternative to nihilism, and I'll devote an entire video to it in the near future. Look, if we've reached the point where people are bringing emotional support pigs onto airplanes... <laughs> Because they're so wretchedly uncomfortable with their own emotions, they can't get through a three-hour flight. Maybe time to ask if our society is overly emotional. Can I can I use your e emotional support pig for uh, emotional bacon? Because uh, you know, if if uh, you know, I I think that's probably the best use of uh, emotional support pigs. I mean. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I feel better every time I uh, have a slice of bacon. Just, uh, just saying. So, uh, yeah, stoicism is too much for people. Um, I mean, stoicism is even a bit too much for me. But, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm like two degrees removed from, from stoicism.
This is, um, I'm not quite there, but uh, by far I'm nowhere near the, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm nowhere near the, uh, soy boy level either, so, um, but at the same time, stoked people seem to, to like me and like this show, so, uh, yeah, pulled, pulled pork, yeah, see, see, we can, we can make so many, uh, we can make so many pig puns now, too, um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, between, uh, between Facebook censoring us all and, uh, you know, taking away our right to express things and then reality TV dumbing down our emotions and whatnot, our society is just, uh, you know, well, what can we say, folks? We're, uh, we are fucked, as Nick DiPaolo would say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to be optimistic and say that I think the age of, uh, Trump is certainly helping things, and I think in a certain way it is, but, uh, you know, who knows? People are more emotionally incontinent than ever. So, uh, but, you know, that that's another ring endorsement for the, for the, uh, Danger Zone. Come hang out with us, and, uh, you know, you'll stop being overly emotional within, uh, well, five minutes, and if you, and if you are, uh, you know, and if you do get too overly emotional, well, then you'll, uh, you know, you won't last in the DZ either. So, uh, yep, and many horses. True, true that, Brian, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that must, uh, that must smell awesome on a fly by the fly. What? Yeah, sizzling bacon? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does, Josh. But, uh, anywho, well, folks, that just about wraps up, up the show. Uh, I want to thank you all for, uh, what the hell? This is, uh, oh, I know what I did wrong. I was trying to pull up, pull up a web page, and, um, I was trying to pull up the show's podcast page, and it went to a 404 screen. But, uh, anywho, yeah, that's what I, that's what I get for not, um, That's what I get from not, uh, typing in URLs correctly. But, uh, anyway, before we go, I do have one quick, uh, announcement, kind of like a, a slash reminder. Oh, no, I, yeah, I entered the URL in. Uh, anyway, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, if you would like to contribute to the show, 
you can do so by going to anger.fm forward slash fulfilled report and uh, signing up there or going to patreon.com forward slash Whitfield and contributing there. We've got $20, uh, you know, in per month uh, in terms of contribution and support financially. So I want to thank everyone who's uh, doing that. And uh, I also want to thank all of you who are uh, liking the podcast and sharing it with your friends and uh, whatnot. So, uh, no, no, Gabe, I am not pregnant, but, uh, you know, who knows? Someone, some lucky lady could be soon. So, uh, I don't know, but, uh. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in, folks, and uh, be sure to uh, rate, comment, subscribe, and like, and uh, support the show. From all of us here at NGC1, good night, God bless, and God save this great nation.